Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We certainly have far fewer people coming downtown every day, and there is no indication that that's changing. None. All of which adds together to make it very, very difficult for retailers to operate in the city uh, at the same time that people claim they want to have retail in the city. You can't have it both ways. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Rob Carr, president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. Rob, thanks for joining us. Welcome back. Fran, great to be with you again. Thank you. This was not a great week for your members, and it had nothing to do with how many times their cash registers were ringing. Governor Pritzker unveiled a $53.7 billion state budget that includes $893 million in tax increases, primarily on business. He wants to reduce the standard exemption for state personal income taxes to raise $93 million from residents. That'll give them less money to spend at the businesses owned by your members, even though the governor also wants to eliminate the 1% sales tax on groceries and create a child tax credit for low and moderate income families. He wants to more than double the tax on sports betting from 15% to 35% to raise 200 million. He wants to cap uh, or extend a state cap on losses large corporations can write off on their state income taxes to generate 526 million. And he wants to limit the tax discount that retailers, your members, receive for collecting sales taxes for local governments to raise yet another 100 million. It seems to me that the last one, eliminating that discount for retailers, is the one that you're likely to be most upset about. Am I right about that? Well, Fran, you're, you're right about that. And you'll remember it's uh, you're a veteran. It's been around almost every year for as long as I've been here. Um, but I have to give the governor's office credit. They at least called me in advance and said, look, we're going to include this. Uh, it's always uh, on the table. Uh, we're open to other options. Um, so uh, I, I do give them credit for that. But yes, this is very much uh, a stake in the heart, if you will, of retail. How so? It is a partial reimbursement for the cost of serving as the state sales tax collector. What most people don't realize is it's not the Department of Revenue who administers the sales tax. It is the retailer who is responsible for abiding by the rules, collecting and remitting the tax in a timely manner. They provide their ST1s, which is their sales tax document, to the department with all of the money apportioned. We bear the responsibility of getting it right, of making the correct interpretations. 
including we can get sued by individuals under the False Claims Act who, without evidence really, can claim that we've done something uh, something wrong in our interpretations. So it's not just interpreting what the department has, it's interpreting what the average, you know, some average citizen might uh, think is the correct interpretation. We bear all that reliability. But more importantly, over 80% of transactions now are electronic. We subsidize, retail subsidizes every uh, electronic transaction as it relates to the state. Now, some would say, well, that's the cost of doing business. My response would be no. The merchandise is the cost of doing business. The sales tax is not. That is a, a, a mandate that's put upon us. And we should not be subsidizing or having to subsidize that collection. Furthermore, those fees that are on electronic transactions, which is your debit or credit card, are imposed on us by the banks. We have no say in that. We have no ability to control that. So every time somebody pays, let's say $100 of merchandise, and the state average combined local and state tax is 8.75% now, we're subsidizing 92 cents of net cost per transaction. If you do just the sales tax portion, it's 17 cents. And that's after we have the discount. So we just don't believe shifting the entire cost and liability onto the retailer is fair. Yeah, and it's also a pain for you guys. I mean, should you be freed from this entirely? Well, in a perfect world, yes. But, you know, also, as you know, Fran, we try to approach things very thoroughly. It is the most efficient way of doing it is at the point of sale. So it, it, it would almost be impossible for the Department of Revenue to do it themselves. Um, we're happy to be a partner in that. Are there rubs in the system? There most certainly are. But we should, the government shouldn't then be saying, okay, we're now going to stick you with the entire cost of the electronic transaction on, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, cost of the electronic transaction. Um, th that shouldn't be all put on us. Um, and, and I would add that this partial reimbursement, that's just to partially offset these electronic transaction costs. It's not offsetting what it was originally created for, which all, all the other accounting and liability that goes into sales tax. It, people like to say, well, it's all computer now, like somehow it's simple. That's not simple. Sales tax are collected at point of sale. That means at each location. And locations throughout the state, as you know, have different imposed tax rates. We have to do those, all of those by location. And every location has a different mix of merchandise. And so it is not as simple as flipping a switch on a computer. Wow. I, I think most customers have no idea about this. So the governor's office said to you, we're open to alternatives. What's your alternative? Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll work on that. And, and to be fair, they have approached all of their tax ideas every year with, look, these are just some of our ideas to get the conversation started. We're open to ideas. Uh, I don't know that I have one as I sit here today. Um, but, um, you know, we, we always try to think through. And, Fran, you'll remember that Irma pushed through the legislature the Leveling the Playing Field Act which requires remote retailers to collect and remit the same state and local sales tax that brick and mortar retailers do. That leveled the playing field. 
Um, that we did You're that talking about over the buys on of, the internet. You're talking about Amazon correct. and all that. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Right. Um, and uh, so that is now required. And, and we push that through over the objection of some, uh, even in the department, uh, who didn't necessarily want to change the system. That has resulted in over a billion dollars of new revenue. So no one can claim that retail hasn't come with other ideas in the past. Yeah. And you have defeated this in the past. So what do you think your chances are this time? Fran, I would never be so as presumptuous as to predict. Um, we've put together a very broad coalition of over two dozen organizations uh, who share our belief that this is unfair. Um, we're going to begin circulating our information uh, to the members of the assembly um, and uh, look forward to that that discussion. Um, you know, I try to be optimistic, but we, I would never want to predict uh, what they will do or not do. As you know, there's been a lot of turnover in the assembly. There's a lot of new members who have both never been through a tight budget and don't know what this is and, and all the details behind it. They just hear a talking point from some that is, well, this is subsidizing Walmart. Well, that's not true either. But we, it is, it's incumbent upon us to educate them as to why that's not true. I bet it was easier when Mike Madigan was the speaker. That was always on the table then. It was always yeah. on the table then as well. But I mean, you knew who to go to. You knew the iron-fisted control he had, and it was easier for you, right? It was like I a one-stop I mean, shop still, you know, almost. I think that's the, I think that's the uh, perception of former Speaker Madigan. But, you know, you still had to go talk to his caucus members. He was still responsive to his caucus, particularly on issues like this. So you still had to inform them, and, and Speaker Welch is operating the same way. So we still have to go through the same processes we've gone through every year for as long as I've been here uh, of, of informing and, and educating the caucus members. So this is something they don't want to do to their, to their local retailer. Right. And how devastating would it be to the retailers at a time when there's other pressure? Believe us, there well, is. Well, it would be, it would be another shift of cost of 185 million dollars 185 not 101 okay no that's not so 101 is the state's share oh I there's see. another 84 okay. million that goes to local government from that so that's it to hit to the retailer would be at least 185 million dollars wow wow okay and then on the same day the, that the governor delivered his budget address, the Chicago City Council voted to rein in Chicago's $149 stores with what companies call a moratorium. The ordinance was championed by Southwest Side Alderman Matt O'Shea. It prevents new and expanding small box retailers from locating within one mile of an existing store owned or managed by the same controlling person. This ordinance defines dollar stores as retail establishments that offer or advertise the majority of items under $5, so it's kind of a misnomer. It's not a dollar store, it's really a $5 store, but anyway, and are between four and 17,500 square feet. Exempt are stores that have the prescription pharmacy, sell gasoline or diesel fuel, primarily sell food, uh, specialty food items or dedicate more than 10% of their floor space to selling fresh meats, poultry, seafood, uh, dairy, uh, produce. What do you believe the effect of that will be? Why do you believe this is detrimental to Chicago? I think, well, 
I, to answer that, Fran, I have to start with some of the claims that were made behind it. Let me say up front that Alderman O'Shea is typically a very stalwart supporter of business and retail. Um, so you find yourself in a very uh, uh, odd place when we're at odds with him on a particular issue. This was driven by a frustration he had with a particular brand uh, in his uh, ward. Uh, I can't speak to what is or is not behind that frustration. I can only then speak to your question. Um, the misnomer is, is that somehow, or this was used to justify the ordinance, is that somehow these dollar stores have pushed out groceries in some areas. Um, that's just simply not true. Um, pharma, or food deserts existed long before dollar stores came in. And dollar stores are filling a need. Are they filling all of the needs? No, certainly not. But they're a different business model, a lower cost business model that can at least operate in the current business environment in Chicago. And they are providing at least some of the essential uh, goods that Chicago residents need. I think the effect is, will be, is that you're not going to have um, these stores expanding as they're trying to do in other parts of the nation into uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and other grocery items because they're going to be limited um, in, in their ability to get that done here. And you're not going to have as many opened in areas that could use uh, the, the more convenient access to these affordable essential goods. O'Shea got up there and he said he made seven concessions while the dollar store owners made zero. What do you say to that? I know that you proposed a 1,000 foot restriction. He he said that, he rejected that and said that would open the floodgates for more stores. He also described filthy, unkempt, poorly maintained, crime-ridden dollar stores in the city that drive Chicago suburbs, uh, customers to the suburbs, where the stores are absolutely insultingly different. They're clean, they say. They're well-maintained with fresh merchandise. That's compared to Chicago stores that, according to O'Shea, have received 3,300 code violations over a five-year period for doing horrible things like selling baby formula six months after the expiration date and medicine that expired a year ago. Why is that? Why are dollar stores in the city so horrible and the ones in the suburbs not? Well, I don't know that to be true, number one. Uh, we hear that every time someone wants to justify something in the city. We also hear complaints that somehow crime is our fault. Fran, I've stood outside stores, not just in the city, but elsewhere, and watched customers come out and open packages and throw things on the ground. The retailer tries to pick it up, but all, trash also blows around. So I don't know, I don't believe that's necessarily fair. At some point, there's also a requirement of the citizenry to act you know, we need to take care of each other. In terms of the code violations, might be, but based on the number of stores that are there, based on, uh, yeah, on the number of stores that are in the city and spread over five years, you're talking less than half of a violation per store. So it sounds big in the aggregate, but when you break it out per store, I'm not sure many others would have that that record. Um, it's very hard to keep up with, uh, I, I can't speak to the best 
you know, best if used by dates. They're not necessarily out of date. They're, it's whether they're best if used by. We've always said, if somebody's not abiding by uh, the law, we, we're not going to protect them. That law is in place. It's known. Um, go forth and, and, and punish them accordingly. The bottom line is the city has the means already in, in the ordinance by which to enforce these, uh, the, these complaints. They should do it. You said in your statement with the Chicagoland Chamber and the Hispanic Chamber that the city council was writing another chapter, your words, in its ongoing narrative of hostility to retailers, passing a misguided proposal that will address a problem in one ward while depriving residents of many other wards convenient access to affordable necessities. What do you mean by that? Well, when you look at the recent litany of things that the city has undertaken, you've got at least the former mayor and some city aldermen who blame retail for the retail theft, ignorant of the fact that retailers have no police powers. Retailers don't have the ability to lay hands on someone and detain them, for example. We bear liability. We're subject to the whims of prosecution and law enforcement and judges. Number two, you've had uh, imposition of restrictive scheduling. You've had imposition of paid leave laws. You've had imposition of substantially higher minimum wage that's tied to inflation. All of that adds together. Let's also mention that the Cook County Assessor's Office is shifting, has become even more aggressive in shifting property tax burden onto commercial industrial uh, properties. All of that adds together to create a, a significant burden on a narrow margin industry to continue to operate. That's the litany we're talking about. And no one can deny that litany exists. Now they can say, well, one thing didn't do that. And I would say, you're right. If you were talking about one thing, it probably doesn't do that. But retailers don't experience it as one thing. They experience it in the aggregate. And we have also downtown and in the city, less tourism than we had pre-pandemic. We certainly have far fewer people coming downtown every day, and there is no indication that that's changing. None. All of which adds together to make it very, very difficult for retailers to operate in the city uh, at the same time that people claim they want to have retail in the city. You can't have it both ways. Now, you also didn't mention the subminimum wage for tip workers that's being phased out, nor did you mention the ballot right. binding referendum that would triple the real estate transfer tax on property transactions over a million dollars, quadruple the tax on sales over one and a half million dollars. None of this is happening in a vacuum. What about that stuff? Right. And, and at what point do we reach a tipping point coupled with the continued Retail theft, smash and grab robberies that have seen the same store hit multiple times, people driving through windows or crowds smashing windows. When do when does all of this reach a tipping point? I believe it already has reached a tipping point, Graham. Go, go, look, walk as you do. You get around the city a lot. Look at all the empty spaces. 
um, outside my apartment on Wells Street never used to have the vacancies that are there now in what is a higher income area. Um, tipped wage, I should have mentioned it. We have a lot of restaurant members. Uh, it is all, the Restaurants are already feeling that pitch. You're already seeing a lot start to shutter their doors. They're certainly not going to expand. Um, the the bring Chicago home, uh, the revenue for that is going to be felt in a kind of a delayed fashion as leases come up in the next year or so, if it, if it, if it passes. Um, it just adds even more to this. I think you're already seeing the effects of the lack of investment by, by retail and many others in the city of Chicago. I think there's always been this historic view that Chicago is inevitable. And I think it's quickly proving that Chicago is not inevitable. No different than San Francisco is inevitable or other uh, cities are inevitable. At some when you point, say inevitable, you, you mean the point. success of their economy inevitable? What do you mean? Yeah, it, I mean, I, that's a great question. I mean that, that business can, can not afford to not be there, that they can't afford to not locate stores uh, in the city. They'll locate a store, but they may not, may not have five stores, right, as an example. Or they may pull out entirely. With the advent of delivery and e-commerce, you can serve those same residents from outside the city. You can do so it from outside the city. So what do you think happens with all this piling on that you say is going on? I think businesses, retail businesses, no different than a manufacturing business, no different than uh, a service business or a bank. They're going to go where the return on investment is the highest. They have a limited number of capital dollars every year, and they're going to go where they get the best return on that. Keeping in mind for retail that within this you know, modern economy, they can serve a city population from outside the city. Would they prefer to be there? They would. But I think you're already seeing investment decisions made that, are, that don't accrue to the benefit of the city, and that means fewer people are hired. That means there's fewer engagement and support for civic, uh, civic and neighborhood groups. That that uh, means there's less uh, tax income, both property sales and uh, the income tax that derives from hiring people in the city. All of this compounds to create additional revenue problems for the city. And the huge vacancy rates on Michigan Avenue and other neighborhood commercial strips, what's going to happen there? Well, it certainly doesn't help. None of this helps with that. I don't see how. I don't. You're not making it easier uh, for commercial real estate agents to market the property. You're making it less attractive for retailers to want to do it because, at least in the retail case, the margins have been so squeezed they can get their better return elsewhere. So Mayor Johnson it, it, it was asked be, about the dollar store ordinance this weekend. He flatly denied that his administration is anti-business. The question he asked out loud is why is it that every time something is done to protect and support workers, that it's viewed as anti-business? What do you say to that? I don't think everything that's viewed to protect workers is anti-business. Irma was the first business group to support, for example, the earned income tax credit in the state of Illinois. And we have, ex we have supported publicly its, ex its expansions every time it's come across. We have supported other policies like that. We had offered a different path on minimum wage. The problem is, is that there's not really, there's communication in the sense that there's a meeting, but there's not really compromise. It, you can have both. 
But what you've got is right now is a one-sided, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it, and you're going to live with it. Well, they're going to live with it by not being there anymore. Businesses, they're going to move. The thing that has to be somewhat intimidating to your members is that Mayor Johnson has not even begun to deliver on his campaign promise to impose $800 million in taxes and fees, primarily on wealthy Chicagoans and businesses, to bankroll the $1 billion in investment that he promised to make on people, social programs. It's the cornerstone of his anti-crime strategy. He hasn't also confronted the city's $35 $35 billion pension crisis. So you, the you-know-what hasn't even hit the fan yet. It has not hit the fan yet. And so that, that will provide for additional future discussions. That's for sure. Batten down the hatches on that one. Correct. And then there is the proposal by White Sox Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf and developer-related Midwest to use a new White Sox stadium as the catalyst to build a massive new development on the long vacant South Loop parcel known as the 78. But here's the giant but. It relies on $1.2 billion in state subsidies, $900 million in TIF subsidies, tax increment financing from the city to pay for the infrastructure projects needed to ready the site for development. Reinsdorf and Related need a massive borrowing issued by the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority, bankrolled by the same 2% hotel tax increase that was used to renovate Soldier Field with $550 million in bonds tied to that project, still outstanding. And they want to create a sales tax district that would require the city and state and county to forfeit sales tax revenue generated within the boundaries of the 78. I know that's a mouthful. But it's and it's also a very gutsy request at a time when demand for government government revenues has never been higher, with the migrant crisis and other social programs. What do you think about this? What are the chances? What about this sales tax district idea? Yeah, well, Fred, it's been done uh, at least one other location that I can think of, and it's taken a while for that location to get going. But I think they're first they're starting to see the first kind of fruits of that. Where um, so it's it's a. Where? Uh, down in uh, southern Illinois, down around Marion, I believe. It's a star, it was called Starbonds, I believe. Okay. So it's a similar approach to that. Um, I, I don't, Fran, we, Irma has not taken a position on that. We're, we would still look at the details of it. Uh, I think this is a more of a question and a decision for state and local leaders about where the, the precious revenues they have are going to go and what the offsets would be of a revitalized. Uh, area and a revitalized uh, Sox Park. Um, and so I'm not trying to dodge your question. I just, you know, we need to look into it. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, but I, I'd be surprised if we get too deeply enmeshed in that. That really is more of a decision for the city and local leaders as to what they want to do with the resources that are available to them. What about Reinsdorf saves the Sox for Chicago argument? Uh, he is saying again that if he dies, when he dies, and he's going to turn 88 on Sunday, I believe, that his son Michael is going to have to sell the team uh, to make the most for the investment group that he leads, that owns the Sox, and that the big money is outside Chicago. They would leave Chicago. They would go to Nashville. They'd go somewhere else. That's that. That's where the big money would be generated to sell the Sox, and that he wants to keep the Sox competitive in in Chicago. It sounds familiar. It's a familiar argument he made in 88 
He got it, uh, but St. Petersburg was a real threat. This one is sort of a hypothetical. Yeah, and and you know you, you've got me a little bit here, Fran. I'm a to take off my Irma hat and just be Rob Carr for a minute. Um, I'm a Sox fan, always have been. Would love to see him stay. Would hate to see him go. I think it's great for the city to have both the Sox and the Cubs, not to mention the Black Sox, Bulls, and Bears. Uh, you know, um, and and the uh, attendant uh, women's teams as well in all those major leagues. Um, but that's again a decision that you know how much importance the state and local leaders are going to put to that uh, remains to be seen. But as a Sox fan, I would love to see him stay. And finally, there is Mayor Brandon Johnson's plan to borrow $1.2 billion to bankroll economic development and affordable housing programs and use that money to wean Chicago away from TIFs as a major source of funding for these projects. What do you think of that? Um, I think it bears some closer examination. Uh, You know, Borrowing to pay off sounds a, li- a bit like the supply side economics that everyone criticized in the 80s, uh, but it might have some merit. I, and I don't mean that to sound like a criticism. It just that's how it strikes a number of people. I think we have to just look at it to see what, how much economic development you're going to revenue you're going to generate out of uh, you know subsidized low income housing uh, approach. Uh, it doesn't seem to add up, but they might be onto something that we're not aware of yet. So I think we're just going to have to, like everyone else, see more details around that and engage in some conversation. Some people are concerned about giving him $1.2 billion, a blank check, they call it, at the same time as the Bring Chicago Home referendum, if it passes, could give him another $100 million a year for, uh, for uh, homelessness. Do you have a problem with writing a blank check to this mayor? I think everybody, I don't think it's just this mayor. I, I don't care who the mayor, who's mayor at the time. I think anyone would have a problem writing just a blank check. I think, you know, you, you almost need a lockbox type approach if you're going to take these steps, uh, similar to what the state did for transportation recently. Um, that's what you need to look at, I think, is, is some some assurance that it's going to go where it's meant to go. Um, but we also have to keep in mind that the city, as you mentioned earlier, has existing obligations that pensions, as an example, that are really eroding its financial standing and uh, have to see uh, how much it takes from that versus the ability to to uh, address those those uh, existing structural issues. It looks like to me that bring Chicago home referendum is likely to pass because the turnout is expected to be low. The same field operation that delivered Brandon Johnson to the mayor's office is running this field operation. They know what they're doing. They're experienced. Emma Tai, the former head of Johnson's field operation and United Working Families, knows how to get out her vote at a time when other people are not going to the polls. Is this going to pass? I have no idea, Brent. Or, I'm sorry, I have no idea, Fran. I, I just haven't, uh, I haven't focused on that. We've, as you know, been busy on a few other issues. I just haven't looked at it. You've been with the Retail Merchants Association in various capacities since 94. How has your job and your organization and the pressures on Illinois retailers changed since then? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, It has changed as as the environment has changed. It's um, the less, it's occasionally a less collegial environment. Uh, Social media has certainly changed in the dynamics as well, where some believe that governing is 
by tweet is the way to go. Um, perhaps I'm old school, but I think people sitting down and being a reasonable mind can often solve many problems. Uh, that has become more challenging. Um, trying to keep everyone calm has become more challenging. But I'm not necessarily a pessimist either. While there are clearly dynamic changes, there are clearly people uh, who come to Springfield and City Council and Cook County Board and other governing bodies who have the best of intentions and conduct themselves in a manner of trying to solve problems. And so uh, I think it's leaning into those types of people that will be important and the organizations that take those similar approaches. Um, we could certainly accomplish far more together. Um, there, there's a whole lot more uh, that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, I, no one will feel sorry for me about this, nor should they, but, you know, there was downtimes when I first started back in 94. You'd have a very intense six months out of the year, and the second six months would be uh, a bit more normal. It has become more intense all year long. So um, as I'm getting older, it's becoming more perhaps of a uh, younger person's game. Um, but uh, I still enjoy it. I still enjoy very much representing the retail industry. It's dynamic. It's far more technologically advanced than people give it credit for. It has a lot more to offer in terms of careers than people give it credit for. Um, we're going to start telling that story, which is something you and I can talk about in the future. Um, so, I, you know, long answer to a short question, Fran, but uh, I still enjoy it. But there are clearly changes, as there are in any, any job. Uh, that and you the have biggest challenge with. going forward? I think the biggest challenge going forward is ensuring that there is balance, that government, while it has needs to meet, uh, recognizes that it has to protect its core missions and that while business is willing to help in those core missions, um, as I, a theme I went, we talked about earlier, neither the city of Chicago nor the state's inevitable. We have a lot to offer. We have a lot to brag about. We have a lot to draw people here, but we have to be careful that we don't uh, tilt the field so far one way uh, that we, that we um, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot. Rob Carr, Illinois Retail Merchants Association, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck to you on your lobbying efforts in Springfield and Chicago, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Fran. Thanks.